Recovery Radio, KMP3, Thousand Oaks. Ah, yes. You are listening to Recovery Radio on KMP3 in Thousand Oaks. I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I will be your host. Very happy that you joined me today on KMP3, Recovery Radio, the Recovery Radio podcast. And uh, I'm going to pick up right where I left off. In the last episode, I'd been talking about what my first year of sobriety was like. And uh, it was a shit show. And it was beautiful. And it was challenging. And I don't know how I made it through. I really don't. I talked before about how I had found a journal of. Um, my early thoughts. I started keeping this journal in this little notebook when I was just several days sober. and I recently found it and I went through it and I read it. And I really cannot tell you how I made it through. Scary. All new. I took myself very seriously. They used to always say, you know, wear your feelings like a loose garment. Mine were very tight. Tightly wound. But I'd had a lot of incredible experiences. I had uh, gone through my amends. It was explained to me that the steps, while they are written in a linear fashion, are really a circle. It's a way of life. It's a design for living. You never finish them. That's something that is a pet peeve of mine. I understand why people say it. But when people say I finished the steps or I did the steps, I, it bothers me. Can't help it. What do you mean? What do you mean you finished the steps? What do you mean you finished something that begins with the word continued or begins with the word sought or practice. What do you mean you finished that? I don't understand. I mean, I get why they say it. But um, anyways, so I got a sponsor when I was, I don't remember when, pretty early on, a month or so sober. Went through step nine, started trying to practice step 10 and step 11. Step 12. And I have to tell you, you know, while I'm thinking about it, I tried to meditate the first year of my sobriety, and it was really, really hard for me. Really hard. Matter of fact, it was hard for a few years. It was impossible, I want to say, because my head wouldn't shut up. I mean, it just would not shut up.
there were a lot of voices talking. And none of them were very pleasant. And none of them were positive. And it was hard. I remember a lot of times, you know, closing my eyes, getting down on my hands and knees, praying. And just getting so angry. And I would emerge from my meditation session just pissed. Pissed off at God, if there was one. It was hard. They also said, you know, don't get into a relationship. That'll be a topic of another show in its entirety, but, you know. Old habits died hard for me, and I got into a bunch of relationships. Well, you said don't get into a relationship, so I'm not getting into a relationship. I'm getting into five, so. But I sincerely wanted to grow. I really did. I sincerely did not want to hurt anyone anymore. And... I really wanted to do God's will with whatever that was. But it was hard for me to let go of all that. Pain eventually caused me to let go of that, but it was a long road. But anyways, so the first years of my sobriety, I, I have a sponsor. I've gone through the amends. I've had an incredible spiritual awakening. I have a bunch of Crazy spiritual experiences, really out there, spiritual experiences. And I'm going to a bunch of meetings, you know, minimum two a day for a long time. I mentioned it before, I would go to the 7 a.m. meetings and that were near my house and, and I would sleep snore. I go to meetings at night. So I had all this experience and lo and behold someone who could not stay sober for one day is about to take a cake for one year of sobriety. And boy, I was thrilled about that. I was over the moon about that. Ecstatic, grateful, emotional. Couldn't believe it blew me away so I take my celebratory birthday cake and then the meeting ends and I'm outside talking to a friend of mine in front of the meeting and boom the obsession to drink returns with a vengeance hit me hard It changed everything inside me. And I stood there talking to this friend of mine, and I thought, what in the hell is going on? And he kept talking, and his mouth kept moving, and I was not listening. I just thought, oh, shit. I didn't want to drink. But I wanted to drink. 
I wanted to drink, but I didn't want to drink. I wanted to drink, but I didn't want to drink. It was an obsession. It was terrifying. And it stayed with me for the better part of the next year and a half of my sobriety. I mean, it was torture. Torture. If you've ever experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. It's hell on earth. And um, I don't remember when, but eventually I started to tell people very soon after. And I started to talk about it and I started to share about it. And, and I got a bunch of advice from people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've got to be honest with you, a lot of the advice I got was terrible. Had I listened to most of the advice I got, I would be dead today. I know it. A lot of people told me to drink. A lot of people told me that I just wasn't done drinking, and it was as simple as that. You're just not done drinking. You just never really did a first step. Well, I didn't want to drink. But it was an obsession. And I had to avoid alcohol. I had to avoid thinking about alcohol. I, the feeling I got if I saw a billboard with alcohol on it was that the alcohol was going to jump right off the billboard and pour itself down my throat. If someone said the word slip, for example, in any context whatsoever, slip on a banana peel, it rattled around in my head incessantly. Slip, 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 slip. And I was going and I was going to meetings. And I was taking people through the work. And I had a sponsor and I was doing ten steps. And I did not understand why this had happened to me. And it was the worst. I remember many times going to work. I'm living minute to minute here with this. And I remember many times going to work and I would go to work and I would clock in and then I would go to the bathroom and I would lock the door and I would lay down on the floor and I would pound on the floor. And I would say, why am I like this? Why am I like this? Crying. I do not want to be like this. Why am I like this? Why is this happening to me? Whew. I'm explaining this experience to you, and it will not take me very long to explain all this to you, but when you go through something like that, every minute feels like a day. It was, I just can't say, there aren't words for it. Before there was GPS, there was these things called Thomas Guides. Some of you are old enough to remember Thomas Guides. There were these books that had maps in them, and you had to look up these coordinates. And and uh, I was a messenger at one time, driving around all the time, and I couldn't take it. I just could not take this obsession, and 
I looked up Alcoholics Anonymous, found an address, just said Alcoholics Anonymous. Didn't know anything about it, but it was a place I would be safe for five minutes, I thought. So I got there, and it's this disheveled old office, and there's papers strewn everywhere, and there's people walking around here and there, and and none of the people speak English. It's a Spanish-speaking central office that I wandered into. That I ran into like it was a life preserver. And I sat in the lobby and I looked at the AA logo. They had the big AA logo on the wall. Huge. Huge triangle and circle. And I sat there in this chair and there was no one that I could talk to. And I sat there and stared at the logo. And I just kept asking, why? Please help me. Please help me. I do not want to drink. If I drink, I will die. The way I drink, I will die. The last time I drank, I died. And, uh, you know, they told me it was progressive. I couldn't imagine drinking going well. Couldn't conceive of picking up a drink and doing my thing and then showing up in a meeting again. I just didn't have it in me. I knew it. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this logo and pleading. Man. And I want to get back to some of the advice I got and I want to explain to you why I think that's terrible advice. I know what the book says about trying some controlled drinking and this and that, but that's not where I was. I was past that. I knew I was an alcoholic. There was no confusion in me about whether or not I was an alcoholic. None whatsoever. The problem with that advice is what I know today is that if you are not spiritually fit, a.k.a. blocked from God, as you understand God, it will never seem like you did your first step. It'll never seem like it. You know, the insanity of the first drink will return, and, you know, if that happens, it never seems like you did the first step. But that's really not what's going on. I don't think. Just my opinion. I knew I was an alcoholic. I was just blocked from God. And I had the insanity of the first drink return. And it wasn't a matter of me knowing more deeply about what would happen to me if I drank. It just was not the issue for me. The insanity of alcohol returned because I was blocked from my higher power. And the big book talks about that. So to tell someone to drink or that they just haven't done their first step, I mean, that's the tricky part of it all. Is that if someone's not spiritually fit, it's never going to seem like they did their first step. Never. It was not the issue. But it was terrifying. Terrifying. Every night 
before I went to bed, I would read from Dr. Bob's Nightmare. I would read where he says, unlike most of our crowd, I did not lose the desire to drink for the first two and a half years of my sobriety. You know, Paraphrasing somewhat, but that's, that's what it says. And I read that every night. I would read it. And I would say to myself, he died sober, he died sober, he died sober. He had this and he made it through. So, you know, we could talk all day about the Don't Drink No Matter What Club. I'm not a fan of that club, per se. I think you have to join a different club eventually. A club of unselfish, constructive action and Put yourself in a position where alcohol is not an issue one day at a time. It's not a fight. But, you know, for that long period of time, that was that was all I had. I mean I was I was holding on. I was holding on. All all on my own. I mean you know, some people were helpful but a lot of people were not and again if I listened to him I would be not here today and so this went on and this went on and I had periods where it was a little better I could see the obsession in the room with me snoring you can hear it snoring it was there I had times like that but Generally, it felt like the alcohol had its hands around my neck all day, every day. And it was torture. Why am I like this? Why am I like this? Now, if that were the solution to staying sober, then I wouldn't have made it. I mean, I would not have been able to endure that indefinitely maybe some people can I couldn't but I was just holding on man my friend Bill he got sober with me about six months after I got sober and he was my age and and he had a, a huge spiritual experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. But he hated the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. He thought they were ridiculous. He didn't hate them, but he thought they were silly. He thought they were... He was very jaded. He was very cynical. And he he just didn't know anyone who had what he wanted. He didn't know anybody who really had what he was looking for. And so... You know, but he would go to meetings and he, he went through the steps um, with someone... Uh, who heard his inventory, but he had a really loose relationship with this guy. Really wasn't a sponsor, per se, but he just used someone to help him go through the book old old school style. And so he did that, but, um, you know, and I still have my original big book and my original 12 and 12, and Bill and I used to sit in meetings and, you know, like misbehaving school kids sometimes, and we would write these jokes about the meeting I look at them sometimes it's funny there's things like the Wednesday night share till you 
don't feel like talking anymore group or the Tuesday night, look what the wind blows in AA meeting. And, you know, it came from our screwing around and, you know, it was funny. But Bill, one day, after I've had this obsession, more or less, going on for a year and a half, calls me. And he says, it was on a Sunday night he called me and he said, oh my God, you know, you're not going to believe it. I met this guy and wow, he's just, I've never met anybody like him. And I asked him to sponsor me and I heard him speak and holy shit, you got to meet this guy. He's starting a meeting tomorrow night and I'm going to take you to this meeting. And um, I can't wait, he said. And I thought, okay, well, and my thought was, I don't know if I'll be, I don't know if I can make it another day, but if I'm still sober tomorrow, then, uh, then I'll go. So I made it. We piled into his uh, blue VW bus and drove out to this mental hospital where they were having this meeting. And there was this tiny room filled with smoke and filled with alcoholics. And there was a lot of time in that room. A lot of people with a lot of years of sobriety. And at the head of this table sat this little Italian man. He was just glowing. And this man, I'll talk about him much more. His name was Mike. But this man was the most influential man in my life. Not just in my sobriety, but in my life. Even though I only talked to him one-on-one for probably four hours. Still to this day, the most influential person I ever met. But anyways, I didn't know anyone there. And we walked in and this man sitting there. And there's all these people crowded in this room. And the meeting's about to start. And Mike says, um, according to the big book, what is the root of our troubles? And this is back in 1992. And I hear this, the answer to this, much more now than I did then, but I didn't know the answer. I was taking guys through the book. I'd gone through the book with a sponsor who was obsessed with the book, and and I couldn't for the life of you, life of me, tell you what it said. And nobody else could either. People were shouting out answers, and all of them were wrong. And finally, Mike said, nope. It says our selfishness. And someone in the back said, where does it say that in the book? And he pulled out this huge binder, this huge thick binder, just overflowing with papers. And he plopped it very purposefully on the table. And he laughed a little bit and he said, I was hoping you'd ask. And when he did that, the hope that I had to stay sober grew from the size of a pinprick to like the size of, you know, the business end of a nail. I just, all of a sudden I had a little hope. There was something about this guy and maybe I missed something. Maybe he was not going to tell me the same things that everybody else had been telling me. Maybe, just maybe. 
And that's all I remember about that first night. I made it another week. I came back to the meeting the next week. And we were there a little early. And he walked by. And I called him over to me. And I introduced myself. And I said, Mike, I said, you know, I'm sober for two and a half years. And and I want to drink, but I don't want to drink. And I want to drink, but I don't want to drink. And everybody's telling me to drink. And he laughed so lovingly. The most gentle, compassionate, authentic little laugh. And he walked over to me and he put his hand lovingly on my shoulder. And he said, they've got the message garbled and twisted. We're going to get to that. And when he said that, my hope like quadrupled, like, or more, like all of a sudden it was like grew from this little tiny thing to like the size of an orange. And I just thought, ah, awesome. Finally. I really hadn't had hope. All of a sudden I had hope. Now at the time, Mike had 20-something years of sobriety, but, you know, I'd come to find out that this meeting was there because years earlier, Mike had had six years of sobriety and he had relapsed and he had no idea why he relapsed. And it pained him greatly because he loved Alcoholics Anonymous he didn't know why he relapsed. It blew his mind. He didn't, didn't understand. And he told me, I knew I missed something. So what he did was he got a bunch of big books, pre-internet. He got a whole bunch of copies of the big book. And he went through the book by subject instead of chapter or step. And he would go through a book and he would color code the books. He would go through a book and say, okay, what does the book say about this subject what does the book say about recovered what does the book say about insanity what does the book say about alcoholic thinking I know what the AA meetings say about these things but what does the book actually say about these things so he went through all these books and he color coded them all differently and he went through it by subject and um, and he emerged with a message that was in direct opposition to most of what I had been taught. And most of what I still hear. A crystal clear, very simple, beautiful, easy to understand message that had somehow escaped me entirely for two and a half years. Going to... 15, 20 meetings a week. And it changed my whole life. It changed my whole sobriety. It changed my whole life. Not only did the desire to drink go away, 
when I had gone through, you know, I did the inventory. I did a third step. I did. I went through three through nine again, essentially, like a really full-blown tenth step, if you will, with this new understanding of the plot and the desire to drink has not been back since by the grace of God it's one day at a time it can return I know that believe me I have lived through it and I know it I do not take it for granted that I do not want to drink right now but not only has the desire to drink been removed today at this moment but I'm so much happier. I became so much happier. I became so much more free. I became so much more clear on what the plot in the big book is. There is a plot. It's real easy to get away from the plot. The plot's simple. And for the duration of these podcasts, that's going to make up the bulk of what I talk about by myself and with the guests that I will have on the show. In essence, despite the fact that I was going to all those meetings and I was praying and I was doing this and I was doing that, I was really far off the plot because I was still thinking about myself all the time. I was still thinking about me all the time in a lot of different ways that I did not understand. I couldn't see it. I see it today, but I could not see it back then. I couldn't see it. I thought I was doing it right. But I was still consumed with selfishness that I could not locate despite all of my efforts. And so I wanted to tell that story because it really explains the rest of my life. It really does. It answers the question, why, why am I like this? Because I have tried and continue to attempt to help as many people as I can by carrying the message to this man showed me which essentially is get out of self but it's not as easy as it sounds so we're going to talk about it on here hopefully for years but um, it is the reason why I'm so driven now still today and every day to try to Stay out of self and stay in constructive, unselfish action. It is exhilarating now. It is usually not contrary action anymore. Hasn't been for a long time. I want to do it. It's the right thing to do, A. And B, it's the right thing to do. We'll talk about it a bunch more, but again, I wanted to share that with you because that really explains everything you'll hear from here on out. I wanted to 
give you a synopsis of what the first part of my recovery looked like because since that time it has been no matter what has gone on really an incredible experience and I've gone through shit you cannot stay sober for decades and not go through all kinds of stuff painful stuff traumatizing stuff horrific stuff gone through a lot of stuff but I've had an incredible experience throughout that I'm excited to share with you and talk about I'm excited to explain why I'm excited to get into what it looks and feels like from my own perspective and hopefully that will help you hopefully it will help someone because I'm having an amazing time And you can too. I know it. So that's it for this episode. I'm going to be done. I'm going to try and do two or three of these a week. I'm going to have a very special friend of mine as a guest in the next show. And we are going to talk about the big book. And he's going to talk about his experience, and it's going to be great. You're going to love him. He's a great guy, and he's having the same experience that I'm having for the same reasons, which is why he's going to be my first guest. So please feel free to send me an email at sarcasticbigbook at gmail. And enjoy the rest of your day. I am going to go try to live a life that was worth saving. And I hope you do the same. I'll see you next time. No, I won't. I won't see you next time. But you'll hear me next time. Good night.